Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. Amen, amen. Well, he has risen. Man, we need to do, we need to bring a little bit of that liturgical stuff into this place. He has risen. He has risen indeed. Because if he has not risen, we are all in a lot of trouble, right? We are all stuffed. Um, anyway, <laughs> great to have you here on this Resurrection Sunday. My name is Dave. If we haven't met, certainly would love to meet you. love to have a coffee with you because I love coffee. But welcome to um, this particular local church and all over this beautiful state, all over this nation, all over um, this beautiful world. There are churches that are gathering this day and we all belong to one church. There actually only is one church, isn't that right? I've often said I'd love to take the name off the signs and off the wall and just say, welcome to Church in Camilla. That would be awesome. Anyone else like that? Now, some of you like your name, don't you? <laughs> Beautiful. Well, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 2 in a moment. So how about you grab your Bibles or turn your Bibles on and, and go there. And um, the title of today's message is um, Death Went Boom. Everyone say boom. Put a bit of bass and go Boom. Death went boom. And um, on Good Friday, Good Friday was kind of a somber, dark, incomplete, awkward um, service. Good Friday is supposed to be like that. But um, Easter Sunday is supposed to be full of life and full of joy. And you're supposed to be really happy and give the pastor a lot of encouragement, a lot of feedback, and a lot of shouting back. Amen? All right, that's better. (laughs) Death went boom. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 2 in a moment. Well, by six o'clock on the evening on the very first Good Friday, the world was a different place. Well, actually, let me correct myself. The entire cosmos was a different place. From a heavenly perspective, from a heavenly vantage point, it must have looked quite incredible. It must have been like so um, unbelievable. Matthew 27, verse 50 to 54, I'm just going to read it in your hearing as we lead into where I believe God wants to take us today. And when Jesus had cried out in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. At that moment, Good Friday, we celebrated, we remembered, we contemplated, and hopefully we've been pondering and we've been engrafting ourselves into the story once again, diving headfirst, just straight into the story of Good Friday, Easter Saturday, and now Resurrection Sunday. That very first Good Friday, that barrier between God and man, it was removed. Amen? Isn't that good? Is that good to know? Someone tell me it's good to know. <laughs> the coronation ceremony of Jesus was complete. And what a coronation ceremony. When we think of coronation ceremonies, we think of like thrones and parades and processions. Never in our wildest dreams would we have ever thought that the God of this world would have his coronation service on the cross in between two thieves. The coronation service was complete. 
And that curtain, that curtain complete, and on that curtain complete with images of, of creation and the cosmos, what was actually imprinted on that curtain is significant because that curtain represented that present age, a present evil age. And at the same moment as, as, as Jesus gives up his spirit, as he dies, that curtain is destroyed. It is ripped from top to bottom, never to be put back together again. Never to be put back together again. And the death of Christ on the cross, coinciding with the ripping of that curtain, made this eternal statement, it is finished. Amen. That present evil age is finished. And as for the very first Easter Sunday, which we arrive at today, well, something new has begun. That's the significance of Easter Sunday. Something new has begun. Something was finished and something new has begun. And the more we can understand it, the more we can comprehend it, and the more we can live in that, the more life we actually have as followers of Jesus Christ. Well, over the last couple of years, um, this is actually my 10th Easter Sunday. Can you believe that? 10. 10. Come on. This is my 10th um, Easter Sunday service in this church. But over the last few years, we've been really laboring on this idea of new creation. And um, we've really been reflecting on that on our Resurrection Sunday services. And it's a message that is really important for any follower of Jesus Christ. It's really important to understand who God is, who we are, and who, what God is actually doing um, in this beautiful world that he's placed us in. But it's something that we've labored on, and it's actually something that every one of our gospel writers um, actually tells us. Um, John chapter 20, verse 1 says this, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Luke's account says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had provided, um, prepared and went to the tomb. John Mark in Mark's gospel says, When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, um, out of whom he had um, driven seven demons. And Matthew's account in Matthew 28 says, after the Sabbath, at the dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And just as like, um, similarly as Genesis tells us about the very first day of the first week of creation, each of the gospel writers is actually letting us know, giving us a glimpse, a bit of a peek into the very first day of the very first week, not of creation, but of new creation. That's the significance, and every single one of our authors in the Gospels is laboring and letting us know that thing, that something new has begun, something new has started. This is the very first day of the very first week of new creation, and if you are following Jesus Christ, you are now living in this new creation paradigm. You don't have to live in this present evil age which is passing away. You get to live in a kingdom that is coming to pass. Isn't that good to know? So we've talked about that over the last couple of Easter Sundays, but today I actually want to talk about something a little bit different. Otherwise, you guys would be thinking, oh, Dave, 10 Easter messages. You just repeat the same thing, don't you? You just come Easter Sunday, you just hit replay of the last one. <laughs> today I want to highlight something else um, about the victory of Jesus Christ. And I'm praying that as we understand this, as we get it into our spirit and into our mind, that it would actually help us navigate this world uh, far more effectively and actually live in more freedom and free from the paralysis of fear that seems to be gripping the entire world. And to be honest, fear that grips so, so many followers of Jesus Christ. And in order to do that, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 2. Um, hopefully you have your Bibles open um, to that. I'm going to read from verses 10 to 18, and I will read from the NLT. Holy Scripture says this. 
God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. For he said to God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. And he also said, I will put my trust in him. That is, I and the children God has given me. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. We also know that the son did not come to help angels, he came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. This is God's word. So what I've done, there's a lot of great truth in that um, passage of Scripture. And what I've actually done is I've put together a couple of clips from a movie um, to actually help us. And that's the reason why the kids have left. I, I actually showed Andrea the clip. I said, babe, I reckon the kids could handle this. She said, you've got to be kidding. That is the difference between a mother and a father. <laughs> so that's why our kids have gone, uh, gone away. But I'm going to show you a, a couple of clips from, uh, from a movie. Um, and it's not The Passion of the Christ. Okay, just letting you know. Um, I've used it for obvious reasons. It won't seem obvious right now, but as we go through this passage of Scripture, it will actually become very, very obvious to you. So how about you look to the screens as we check out this video clip, and then we're going to delve into um, the rest of this message. I can see some of you guys worried right now, thinking, who is this pastor, aren't you? <laughs> Men in Black of Resurrection Sunday. Don't worry, I got you. Hey, you guys have known me for like nine years now. I've got you, right? <laughs> we're going to be talking about the, um, the, the, the victory of Jesus the resurrection of Jesus. I've got a question for all of us today. Where does the victory of Jesus' resurrection touch you today? Where does it shape you? Is it, is it just like a great idea? It's something that happened like over 2,000 years ago. Or is it something when we come to a day like today, Resurrection Sunday, I mentioned last week, you know the reason why we have church on Sunday? Because every single Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. So we don't need to wait for one time a year to come with celebration and praise and giving glory to God. We come every single Sunday. And guess what? Tomorrow is Monday. Guess what Monday is? Resurrection Monday. Guess what Tuesday is? Resurrection Tuesday. Guess what Wednesday is? Resurrection Wednesday. I need, don't even need to wait till Sunday. I can rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say it, let us rejoice. rejoice. Come on. So where does the resurrection of Jesus Christ touch you? Does it touch you in just some theological truth? You know, Jesus is the fulfillment of, of Israel's eschatology and their hope and all their promises are fulfilled in Jesus. Yes, amen, get it. We've been talking about that. Fantastic. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, he defeats and disarms the principalities and powers of this age that are seeking to enslave and to you know, just ensnare us. I mean, I can say amen to that. That's good. 
What about new creation? We've talked about that a lot, haven't we? The kingdom of God has been inaugurated. The kingdom is coming to pass. This present evil age is passing away. And now we live in this incredible space called the forgiveness of God. Isn't that good to live in the forgiveness of God? You know, have you gotten familiar with living in the forgiveness of God? Or do you still have guilt and shame and stuff? Or have you just gotten so familiar and so used and so fluid to living in the space that we call the forgiveness of God that every single day you say, you know what, I'm going to try this on again. I'm going to take off some more of my old self and I'm going to put on some more of my new self and actually start to live more fluidly in this new life that God has actually prepared for me. I mean, that could touch you, can't it? Isn't that good? That we've been adopted and we're invited to partner with God in His renovation of the cosmos. I love that. I love that. These are great lofty theological truths, but where is the gospel touching you right here today? Where is the resurrection of Jesus Christ touched you, shaped you? Has it touched you in an ultimate place? Because the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus addresses an ultimate problem. Hebrews 2 verse 15 says, Only in this way could he, set us, could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. You see, there's an ultimate problem and an ultimate enemy that Jesus has defeated. And the ultimate enemy is called death itself. And we sing about this all the time, don't we? We preach about this all the time. In fact, today, didn't we sing the song for, for Jesus' blood has set us free, means death to death and life to... I mean, are they just nice songs, you know? You know, the, like the, 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 um, the writers of that song say, that, that sounds pretty cool. Let's just put that together, means death to death. Or does that actually mean something? Have you actually thought about that? It means death to death and life to me. We preach about it all the time. How many times do we get up and say, oh, death, where is your sting? But I'm not sure that we've appropriately thought this through or meditated on this truth, the victory of Jesus Christ, because there are many, many times when we as followers of Jesus Christ, we are still paralyzed by fear and the fear of death. In my life, I've been a pastor for over 20 years now, and I can't tell you how many funerals I've conducted. A lot. A lot. And let me tell you, when we're talking about death, death's not one of those conversations you bring up at a party, you know what I'm saying? De de death is not a favorable subject of, or topic of discussion. People like myself, pastors, I've found and I've experienced that there are certain moments that every single person will go through there are moments where people and families lose a loved one and they die. And to be quite frank, no one knows what to do in those moments. So they give me a call and I say, Dave, can you come? And, and it doesn't matter. I, I've observed so many different people and it doesn't matter how much capacity you have, how qualified you are, how financially resourced you are. It seems that when people actually come to that moment where death has knocked on their door and they have to confront it, they have no idea what to do. So they call Dave. And part of my privilege, and this is one of the highest privileges of my job, is to lead people in saying goodbye to someone and letting them know and walking them through how to process and journey through death. But death's not a popular subject. And I've done lots of funerals, a lot of funerals with people who have faith and it's been beautiful. There have been people in our church, beautiful, beautiful people, and I've actually literally sat with them as they breathed their last breath. 
I've prayed psalms with them. I've, pray, I, I've, 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 I've spoken scripture over them. And I've been in those moments where they have passed on. There's been that thin line. It's an incredible privilege, an incredible moment. I've also done many, many funerals and journeyed with many families where the person has not had any faith. And let me tell you, it doesn't matter what they try to put into the service. It doesn't matter what poetry or what quotes or what songs. Those services are absolutely empty and everyone knows that. Everyone knows that. I've had so many people in a funeral service, they come to me because I'm a follower of Jesus. And as I open my mouth, the presence of the Lord does come. And they've come to me so often and say, you know what? I wish I had a faith. I'm thinking, you wish? You can. You can. I wish. See, death is not a favorable subject. And the fear of death is a significant subject because fear cripples a person. It paralyzes a person and it leads people towards dehumanizing pathways. That's what fear does. In this age that's engulfed with fear, fear pushes people to do things that hurt other people. That's what fear does. Fear actually pulls people into hiding and seclusion. Have you ever met someone who's so lonely and they hide from people? Well, fear has actually pulled them away from community. Because to be removed from community, that is a dehumanizing place to be. We're not created to be alone. God didn't make us to be little islands. We're supposed to be doing things like this, gathering together, having a great coffee, sitting, talking, laughing, mourning. Just, you know what, like get, get your golf clubs up and go out with a couple of fellas and hit some balls on a field. That is just heaven to me. That is awesome. Fear locks up the worlds of generosity and compassion. Fear does that. I honestly think that people just naturally want to be generous. They want to be compassionate. I think that that their heart actually is moved. We're made in the image of God. But but when fear comes, we're so paralyzed, we're so crippled, and, and it actually closes up those wells. Fear does that. Fear does that. Fear says no to God's justice being reflected in this world by His image bearers. We are created to image God. We are created to be these angled mirrors in the temple of the Holy Spirit, in the church. And we are naturally supposed to reflect and image the justice, the love, the compassion, the mercy of God out into this world. But when fear comes in, that angled mirror goes straight. That's what fear does. It stops it. Fear makes us less human. That's what fear does. And yes, I know, I know, like Some of you guys are going to tell me. Some of you guys who are older and wiser than me and, you know, what good old, I know. You're going to say, but Dave, Dave, Dave. Yeah, God has not given us a spirit of fear. No, no. But he's given us a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. And you know what? You can preach that. You can pray it. You can recite it. And some Christians even chant it. But can you live in the space of fearlessness in this present evil age? Can you live in that? Can you live in that space? Because that's the promise of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we can live. I'm going to give us a bit of a running start into this scripture in Hebrews chapter 2. And um, hopefully, (laughs) hopefully that video is going to make sense as we go into it. Uh, (laughs) And if not, let's just um, say Andrea was right. (laughs) But please do not tell her. So let's have a running start. So let's actually look at some things from God's perspective. God creates this beautiful humanity, this beautiful world, God's creation. He creates everything and says, you know what, that's good. He creates humanity and says, you know what, that thing's not good. That's not good. That's just really good. Really good. 
you know? He makes Adam, like Adam say, good. And I reckon God's thinking, you know what? I made Adam, I reckon, go a little bit better. So he makes Eve. Oh, come on, I should have got all the women with that. <laughs> um, on a side note, ladies, do you, do you realise that from Scripture... This is really important for you to understand and recognize because this will actually enable you not to live in fear and insecurity. But when Adam creates Eve and creates woman, he creates woman to be an answer to a problem. God has created and molded and shaped you to be an answer. You are not a problem. You're an answer. Did you know that? I tell you what, if I went to a women's conference and I said that, they'd be just shouting me down. (laughs) Not in church. So God's looking about upon this beautiful human race, these precious people, his image bearers, and he sees them plummeting towards non-being. On this course, plummeting towards non-being. And we've talked um, to a large extent about this process of dehumanization and um, this agenda of the principalities and powers as we've even looked in passages in Mark and passages in Ephesians 2. We, we, we've been confronted with pictures of like the living dead, like that we were once dead in sin. And if we were to put this in a movie, it'd almost be like we'd look like zombies and, and you kind of look human, but you're not human. It's like this process of, of non-being and it's this process of dehumanization. Now imagine in your mind, just imagine in your mind just that kind of trajectory of of someone who is in a process of dehumanization, okay? Just just imagine it in your mind. Could you imagine if that process went for one day, what that person would look like? If there was this deterioration, if there's just this process, one day, what 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 would that person look like in one day? What about a year? What would that person look like for a year? What if that process continued for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years? What would that person look like then? That's kind of what we're talking about. So, so God looks upon his beautiful creation and he knows, you know, there needs to be a rescue to actually change this trajectory, change this pathway, and to, there needs to be a rescue from death. And this process towards like becoming so non-being, there needs to be this rescue from death and a process of becoming uh, and this process of dehumanization. So Jesus' victory and his resurrection, and part of the victory is that God actually comes and rescues us from death by entering death. The conundrum is obviously, how can God, being God, enter death? I mean, how are you going to do that? You can't do that, God. You're God. So we have the incarnation. We have the God-man. Hebrews 2 verse 14, A says, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. There's a reason. The reason is spelled out very simply in Hebrews 2 14, B. For only as a human being could he die. Hmm. How great is the love of God that he would pursue us even to the bottom bottom of the abyss. He pursues us to the deepest depths of death itself. So Christ takes on humanity so that he can die, so he can be swallowed by death in an act of a grand rescue mission. And what's amazing is that Jesus voluntarily does this, doesn't he? He does this by himself. 
Possibly having the same kind of posture as Agent K. Now, Agent K was ticked off because he lost his guns. We didn't see that there. But Agent K, he runs in front of that, that, that bug, that beast, you know? Edgar, the, the, the alien bug, if you're familiar with Men in Black. So he runs in front of that, that big alien beast, and what does he jump up and say? Eat me! Eat me! He's not running away from it. He's voluntarily standing in front of it and saying, eat me! Eat me! That's kind of the picture I kind of get. Like Jesus, he voluntarily does this. Eat me, eat me. And just like that... Just like that, death takes a bite and Jesus is swallowed, all right? And make no mistake, it is the violence, it is the rebellion, it is the arrogance of humanity that puts Jesus in a place where death could possibly take that bite, right? Isaiah 53 verse 3 to 5 says this, He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief, we turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought, get this, and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. We thought that God did this because of his own sins. No, 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 no. Verse 5, but he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crucified for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. We did that. We put Jesus in a place where death could take that bite. So death takes its bite, and then death starts to flaunt its victory. Do you remember the scene? The bug eats Agent K, and then it goes, yeah! I'm sure that's the trend, like... In alien language, alien bug language. Let's tell you what, bugs disturb me at the best of times. A bug that size, that would really disturb me. And just like that, death starts to flaunt his victory. But wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hebrews 2 verse 14, we need to wait a minute. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. Wait a minute here. Death swallows Jesus, but Jesus is the God-man. And death swallowed the person Jesus. 100% God, 100% man. It's not just Jesus' humanity that goes into death. It's the entire person, the God-man. And that means that God has been swallowed by death. Eat me! Eat me. And think about this. What's going to happen if God gets swallowed by death because God can't die? I mean, what's going to happen? Boom. That's what happened. That's what we saw, isn't it? You know, Will Smith over there saying, man, you better get out of my face. Something nasty about to happen to you. Too late. Boom. That's a pretty good picture. That big bug got destroyed from the inside. Something was inside the depths of that thing that absolutely annihilated and destroyed it. That's a pretty good picture. You think you guys thinking this guy's crazy bringing men in black into Resurrection Sunday. <laughs> yeah, I might be. And this, this seems to be 
kind of what the author of Hebrews is, is saying. As I'm reading this, as I'm going through this, it's like death thought it swallowed a man, but it swallowed God. And in swallowing God in the person of Jesus Christ, death is destroyed forever from the inside. And this is what Hebrews is saying from verse 14. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. And only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Do you see how that makes sense? So what is the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ right here, right now. What's the evidence in 2021? Is there any evidence in this church? And what would that possibly look like? Because we can go historically and there is some, some, some great evidence, there's some historical evidence that we can actually go to and we can say, you know what? There, there actually was a historical, physical empty tomb. That tomb's empty, you know? The Pharisees, they knew something's up. They say, you need to put some soldiers over there. There were some soldiers over there. But that tomb's empty. That tomb is empty. We have over 500 witnesses recorded and talked about in Scripture, over 500 witnesses, many of whom were still alive with the distribution of some of these letters in the New Testament, 500 who actually saw Jesus resurrected, saw him, heard him, ate with him, right? Saw it. We have the martyrdom of the apostles. Now, if you're going to die as a martyr, you're going to die for something you believe in. Very, very, very unlikely you're going to die for a lie if you knew it was a lie. Isn't that right? Don't tell me that Christianity is this airy-fairy faith. It is not an airy-fairy faith. It is a reasonable faith. And don't tell me that you have no idea or understanding of the resurrection of Jesus Christ if you're a follower of Jesus, a follower of Jesus because without the resurrection, that's actually it. This is it. This weekend in our calendar is it if you're a follower of Jesus. This is it. This is not a public holiday. This is it. All right? And I understand you're in church. I should have said it to everyone else. But this is a sacred time in our calendar. This is it. But there should also be evidence today because death has been defeated by Jesus, the God-man. And because of that, there is evidence today and in this room of followers all over the world, all over this nation, all over the state, and in this room, followers of Jesus Christ, because of the resurrection do not have a fear of death. That is evidence. On the very worst day of our life here on earth, we get to be with him. That seems like a pretty good day to me. In fact, I'm looking forward to that day. I can't wait for that day. But that's the evidence. There's no fear of death. Because death went boom. It was destroyed from the inside out. If we give our hope and our faith, put our hope and our faith and our assurance in Jesus, we have an absolute assurance that we will also be resurrected as he has been resurrected.
Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. I just want to read some scriptures. I haven't got on the screen because I want us to read it together. Have your Bibles. If it's on your phone, if you haven't got a Bible app on your phone, just Google it and you can get that. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to read verses 1 to 9 first. And I'm coming to an end, so um, um, just let the worship team know that. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1 to 9 says this. Let me, let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something else that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what was also passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as Scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scripture said. He was seen by Peter, get this, he was seen by Peter, then the twelve, okay, Peter, then the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. Did you get that? At one time. Most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I'd been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. For I'm the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. Go down to verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first, he is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has began, begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. After that, the end will come and he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. Verse 26, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death went boom, people. It was destroyed. And on Easter Sunday, we get to declare something so bold and so outrageous, but something so true. And I get to remind you once again, as a beautiful church of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ, I get to remind you and I get to remind myself that we do not have to live in fear anymore. We, do know, we no longer have to be slaves to fear because death went boom from the inside. Because death swallowed God and you cannot kill God. So death itself was destroyed. And today, we are supposed to remember, to celebrate and embody the ultimate victory of Jesus Christ. He has destroyed sin and he has destroyed death. And that is why we get to sing songs like this. For Jesus' blood that set us free. It means death to death and life to me.
Did that make sense this morning? Let me pray for you. Allow those words just to sink in. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, a spirit of... We don't need to fear death. Because death was destroyed. It went boom. What is that fear that haunts you? What is that fear that manipulates you, that pulls you, that pushes you, that prods you, that makes you go to places where you don't even want to go? Well, the resurrection of Jesus Christ lets you know that you are free from that fear of death in Jesus' name. And I declare that this is a new day. No longer will you walk in fear. You walk in your life in resurrection power. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. I ask that this morning as your word's been articulated, that you've planted a seed that will grow and will overtake. In those places of our hearts where fear is still reigning and ruling and tormenting, I pray for that seed of your word to be planted this morning and for it to grow. And that we would be a people who would be fearless in this generation. We will live in such a way that we are generous, that we are compassionate, that we were loving, that we are forgiving because we are fearless. And because we are fearless, we can pour our lives generously into lives of everyone around us so they would be blessed and that they would know the love of Jesus Christ, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. How about you stand? We're going to respond to God's word and worship. We're going to declare his victory over our lives. Thanks, guys.